God, help me set aside everything I think I know about you, God, the steps, recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others, especially help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live in your truth. Heavenly Father, have grace and mercy on me, a sinner. Help me to glorify you today by carrying your message. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, we, uh, for those uh, interested, I've been doing a series of, of home podcasts that are on the site on spiritual experience. And I did the eighth one uh, yesterday. It'll be out this weekend. And I've had a lot of fun looking at it, how, what it means, how we get it, how we keep it because uh, it is the result of the steps. And so uh, today we're on, uh, there's a solution. We had a break of uh, eight days while I went and, and uh, babysat the grandkids. So we're, we're back on 18. We covered page 17, which tells us that we have a common peril. Anybody remember that? And we're shipwrecked and we're dying. But we're rescued and we get to shore and we're very happy. People who are rescued from a shipwreck are usually happy. But it says that is not the cement that's going to bind us. The cement that binds us is the common solution, the program of recovery, working the steps, fellowship with God together. And that's how they end page 17. And there's a solution is really a powerful chapter, gone through it many times. I hope I can do justice to it today. Uh, <clears throat> it says on page 18, and we're going to see in the next few pages, they're going to talk about alcoholism, uh, how it looks and what it is. And then on page 24, they're going to fully define uh, our hopeless condition of mind and body. And then on page 25, which is right opposite the way the book was printed, is there's the solution. And then they're going to... Uh, have a few paragraphs on what that looks like, and then they're going to talk about where we've received the solution from Dr. Carl Jung, Roland Hazard, and then how we have it today. So this chapter is really, really powerful. It says, an illness of this sort, and we have come to believe it's an illness, and we call it a disease now, and uh, it has an, uh, what's that code, ICD number? Yeah. So. It, since it has an ICD number, uh, it's a disease and uh, uh, you can get treated for it. 2990, Bill says. And it's an illness involves those about us in a way no other human sickness can. Now, it's, a, uh, it's really a spiritual illness, right? It's manifest by certain uh, behaviors and thinking, but it's a spiritual illness. And and uh, people who have cancer are not necessarily spiritual illness causing that. It's not causing it. Uh, people have appendicitis. It's not a spiritual cause. And, but we have a disease that's unique. It's a spiritual illness which is manifested by certain behaviors and then our thinking as a result of our separation from God. If a person has cancer, all are sorry for him and no one is angry or hurt. But not so with the alcohol illness. For with it there goes annihilation of all the things worthwhile in life. It, they, don't, they don't mince any words here. Annihilation of all things worthwhile in life. And if somebody comes in here and they haven't had all things uh, worthwhile in life 
annihilated, wait, it'll happen. And so some people come here and they haven't had that happen and they're not yet completely defeated. But even having annihilation of all things worthwhile in life won't defeat an alcoholic. The defeat of alcoholism is when the person can see their hopeless condition. They can see the truth about their illness. It doesn't really depend on the circumstances because the circumstances can get, keep getting worse. It's that moment of grace when you can see the truth and you can be completely honest with yourself about your situation. And then you say, I just can't do this. I have no power, I can't do it, I'm done, I'm hopeless. And once you do that and surrender, then you start getting power in your life. Because God can't come in until you do that. And I, I've seen people who get that, but it doesn't last long unless followed by work. And then, and then the ego rebuilds. So uh, it's a fragile thing, but it will annihilate all the things worthwhile in life. And they're not talking about alcohol, they're talking about the illness, the, the sickness, the spiritual illness. It engulfs all whose lives touch the self-sufferers. So you wonder why people don't, don't, aren't really happy when you come home after 30 days and you tell them you're sorry, well, great. But we don't see it because we're an alcoholic tornado, remember? And we, we, we destroy everything. And then we come up out of the cellar and say, well, isn't it grand the wind stopped blowing? That's page, uh, I don't know, 82 in the big book. And it engulfs all whose lives touch us. Relatives, people you work with. Uh, it brings misunderstanding. So this is what the disease. And fierce resentment, not just resentment, but fierce resentment. And people face that when they're dealing with exes or wives or husbands. Uh, they have fierce resentment. Uh, and, and sometimes it's hard to understand, but to make it simple, we chose alcohol over them. We chose alcohol over them. We didn't care about them at all, really, just ourselves. And it's fierce resentment. It takes a while for them to get over it. They may never get over it because to get over it, you need spiritual help. And you have to see that your resentment's harming you. So people can hate me and they can stay hateful towards me, but that's just gonna harm them. Financial insecurity, anybody have that? And disgusted friends and employers, disgusted. I love the words here. Warped lives and means bent out of shape of blameless children, sad wives, and parents. Anyone can increase the list. So they're starting out here with that we have a illness unlike any others, and look what it does to us. It annihilates all the worthwhile things in life, and look what it causes to the people whose uh, lives we touch. And so here was their hope. We hope this volume will inform and comfort those who are or may be affected, there are many. So they're not talking just about alcoholics. They're talking about everybody affected by us and inform them of our, of, of our powerless, what the disease really is, and to comfort them that they're not the problem. They didn't cause this. And highly competent psych, and it's very important to understand that. And I had to understand that when my son died. 
that I felt bad and I wish I could have done things differently and thought should I have done things differently, but I was comforted with the idea that he was powerless and I had no power to change that. And it doesn't mean that I still don't grieve and miss him, but it was comforting and it came from God, said, you know, you did the best you could. He did the best he could. Highly competent psychiatrists who have dealt with us have found it sometimes impossible to persuade an alcoholic to discuss his situation without reserve. I don't know that they can even do it. I don't know that an alcoholic can discuss his situation without reserve. I don't even know that a lot of people come to AA understand what their situation is, really. I ask them what makes them an alcoholic, and a lot of people still don't know. A lot of people come back from treatment still doesn't, don't know what makes them an alcoholic. I guess I have to tell you now. What makes you an alcoholic is that you have an allergy to alcohol. You can't take one drink and control how much you drink. You have a phenomenon of craving, and you can't get rid of it. I don't know when we get it, but we all have it. So if we all started drinking here today, the day would not go well. Then we have another problem. We've lost the power of choice in our mind to say no to alcohol. We know it's bad. We know it's killing us. We don't want to drink. We take the solemn oath. We pass the lie detector test. Everybody's singing and dancing. He's not going to drink anymore. Two hours later, we're drunk. How'd that happen? Because we cannot see the truth about it right before we drink. Because we can only think about what alcohol is going to do for me not to me. So sober, I have no power of choice over alcohol. Why? That's the third part. Because I'm separated from God, I'm self-centered, I'm running my life, it doesn't go well, I get irritable, restless, and discontented, I don't like the way things are going, I don't like the way people are treating me, I'm afraid of this, and I'm afraid of that, I'm full of fear, full of anger, shame, and guilt. And I know that there's something that'll fix that, and it's called alcohol. So my mind unconsciously says, Michael, go get a drink. And then you're in the liquor store. And then you drink and you say, well, how'd that happen? So sober, without God, we don't have the ability to say no to alcohol. So we're insane. We do things that we don't want to do. And that's what makes us alcoholic, and that's why it's a hopeless condition of mind and body without God. And it says, uh, strangely enough, wives, parents, and intimate friends usually find this even more unapproachable to do the psychiatrist than the doctor. You know, we don't want to talk about it. Don't bother me. Don't nag me. Leave me alone, blah, blah, blah. Now, here's squiggly writing. Squiggly writing in the book was italics. It's important. But the ex-problem drinker, so you can say, what is an ex-problem drinker? Well, someone who has a spiritual solution to a spiritual problem and so they can see the truth about alcohol and they don't need to drink today and they can go to God when they get irritable restless discontent and they have a new manager in their life and it's not me so an ex-problem drinker who has found the solution and I think I've gone into that who is properly armed with facts about himself now, how do you get properly armed with facts about yourself? You do step four and step five 
And then steps six and seven become obvious. What's your character defects? What do you have to let go of? How do you, how does God has to change your personality? I have to see the facts about me, that I've created someone that wasn't created by God, who's full of anger and fear and intolerance and impatience. And you can go down the list. So he's properly aligned with facts about himself. He can, has seen the truth. He understands the solution. And he can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. And that's what Bill W. did with Dr. Bob. And that's what Dr. Bob and Bill did with uh, Bill Dotson, A number three. And we talked, went through that on Vision for You. And we hope somebody has done that for you or you can do it for somebody else. And so we have to, armed with facts about ourselves, we have to win the confidence of the, of the alcoholic that we know what we're talking about and we have understand his experience, their, her experience. And in, it's not lecturing them on what they need to do. It's telling us what's wrong with me and what I had to do. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. Think about that. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing. And what are the understanding is? The understanding of what the problem is and the solution. And the understanding of his problem I wrote in here. That the, you have to know what your problem is to be able to seek the solution. When people would come in and they, they're coughing and they're losing weight and they don't feel good. I can't treat that. I don't know what that is, but I do a CT scan. They got this big mass in their lung. Then I know what needs to be treated. I can't give them cough syrup and treat the mass. Does that make sense? So you have to know what the problem is to know what the treatment is. I hope I never did that, I hope. <clears throat> that the man who is making the approach has had the same difficulty. And that's where one alcoholic working with another. And it helps the alcoholic when they work with another alcoholic because we can see ourselves. We can see the truth. Um, he, that he obviously knows what he is talking about, that his whole deport, deportment, that means your behavior, your manner, shouts at the new prospect that he is a man with a real answer. And that's good, but here's the key. That I have no attitude or holier than thou. That's really important. We're not better than the new God. We're just lucky that we could see the truth through God of our situation and then take the actions to allow God to work in our lives. So we shouldn't feel better than the people who aren't here who can't stay sober. We all have the same disease. Remember, you and the new person walk hand in hand down the path of spiritual progress. We do have Pharisees in AA. I've been studying scripture. And and we do have them, and we have rules now. They didn't have any rules. When we, we looked at AA in the beginning last Wednesday, and I just put it out. They didn't have any rules. If you were a spiritual seeker, you came to the meeting. You know, they shared their experience, strength, and hope with each other. Um, we don't want to have a holier-than-thou attitude. Now, we have some traditions which are not rules, uh, which are a way to keep ourselves from becoming Pharisees. I think that's the best way to describe it. And, and the reason they did the traditions, I know I'm going off today, but I'm in a good mood, is that um, 
in, in before uh, they had the traditions, each group had their own rules. And they had these rules on, you know, how long you could be sober, what did you have to do, and all sorts of stuff. They would have people stop people at the door to see if they smelled alcohol in their breath. And all sorts. Each, each group had their own rules. And they said, well, this isn't working because we want to welcome everybody in. We want to make this a place, a safe haven. And so, um, but that's true of any organization. It starts out a certain way and then it changes. You see it in churches today. Uh, but we don't want to have a holier than now thou attitude, and I have to watch that. Can't, have to, don't preach. Sometimes I preach a little and I say, oh, I'm preaching and I have to stop and smack myself. And sometimes we can't help it because we want to help the new person so much that we want them to have a new life that sometimes we do that, but, but we have to just walk them through the past. So I have them read the book and read the book with them. Nothing whatever except, and here's what we have to have, a sincere desire to be helpful. And are you helping them because you have a sincere desire to help them, or do you have some selfish motives? You have to watch for that. Your motives have to be to help them. It has nothing to do with me. It's not about me. It's about helping them. That there are no fees to pay. Now, there are fees to pay to get an AA, but they're paid before you get here. Anybody thinks that you don't have to pay any fees to get in here. They're, they're not a real alcoholic. We paid plenty. But the solution is free. See, that's the deal. And, and you know, uh, somebody said, told somebody, well, you know, I've been in treatment 30 times, you know. I, I, I know the deal. So the guy goes, well, you paid $300,000 for a big book. And we give big books away for free because the solution is in the book. I heard something Wednesday night that was brilliant, and it wasn't for me, by the way. Uh, we had this sweet lady from Portland who's been coming. She's from Russia, and she's a younger woman, and she said that the big book is like a melody. It's like a melody, and I was thinking that the big book is like you have this grand piano, and you have the orchestra and the, and the piano, and you have the, the music. Sometimes they have the music and they have to play the music to make the melody. So the big book is really the, the, the uh, what do they call it, the, uh, the sheets of music, and then you have to play it. You have to take the action to make the melody. And then I thought about it that, you know, when you go see a, a, a concert pianist, they don't have the music up there. They don't need to see it because they've done it so much. And that's what the, studying the big book has been like for me. I don't have to have the big book open. I can see the pages. And then if I do it, it works for me. And so you want to know this book, and you have to keep going through it, and you want to keep practicing the directions in here, and then the melody gets better. So in the beginning, the melody's not very good, but it's better than nothing. And it's better than the melody you had before you came in here. And so I really like that analogy. Anybody else like it? Love it. Yeah. All right, good, good. I feel better now. Because I need, I need positive approval, you know. <laughs> I am an alcoholic, right? All right, stop it. Kyle, calm down. Uh, no people to, 
No axes to grind, no people to please, that's hard. Because I'm a, I'm a people pleaser, that's my personality, always has been. And, and that helped me as a doctor because I wanted to, to care for people and in some way, you know, uh, it helps you. You become uh, a caring person, but I don't want to be a people pleaser. I don't want to please anybody more but God. And you can't, being a people pleaser leads you away from God because you make people your higher power. Does this make sense? And whoever you want to please becomes your higher power. And if you don't think you've pleased them enough, then you feel bad, and then you try harder. Anybody done that? And that's what codependency is. These are the conditions we have found most effective. So the conditions are that we have no holier, we have a real answer, we have a no attitude or holier than thou, nothing. We have a sincere desire to be helpful, no fees to pay, no access to grind, no people to please, no lecture to be endured. And then that makes you most effective. And then it says, after such an approach, many take up their beds and walk again. And that's from the book of John, I believe chapter five, and where the man uh, uh, can't get in the pool, is that right? And so um, he can't get into the healing waters. And so Jesus just says, tells him to pick up his bed and walk. And so we can pick up our bed and walk again. We can be free of the disease that was binding us. And we can be free of the bondage of self. None of us makes a sole vocation of this work, nor do we think its effectiveness would be increased if we did. Now here's a key line. Nobody, you don't hear this read at the meetings. We feel that elimination of drinking is but a beginning. We celebrate how long people are sober, but that's not really what we're after. We're after that, of course, and that's a side effect of the relationship with God, but what we're really seeking is emotional sobriety, peace, service to God and others, serenity, uh, freedom from fear, freedom from anger. Does this make sense? But, but you can't do that if you're drinking. An alcoholic who's still drinking can't work the steps. But it's just the beginning. And we, we have to emphasize that because some people are very proud of how long they're sober. And that's great. We want to, we're proud of them. We're happy for them. But remember, uh, it takes the work of the steps, the action of the steps, to have emotional sobriety and a spiritual relationship with God that will help you see the truth about alcohol. And we're going to get to that because on page 24 they say at certain times, right Brian? The alcoholic cannot recall in the consciousness the humiliation defeat of even a moment ago. We don't have a defense against drinking. So when we eliminate drinking in the beginning we're still sober and we still have the disease. And so how long do you want to live with the disease before the disease is good, you're going to succumb to the desire to drink again. And that's what step zero is. You come here, you, you want to get better, but you're not doing any work. And you're sober. And then people don't realize that is a bad time for an alcoholic in the beginning. That's why I try to get people into the book and into the steps very quickly. I'm more worried about it than they are. 
and my wife used to say, now, Michael, they're not your patients. I said, well, they, you know, they haven't done it. Honey, they're not your patients. If they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. And so and that, was, that was 15 or 18 years ago. And I'm a little bit better at it because I care about people. But we have to remember, they have to want to do it. And step zero is not a good place. Joe and Charlie have that diagram that I've shown you where you have uh, your emotions, irritable, restless, discontent, anger, fear, shame and guilt, right? And then they have this thermometer and they say, now how much of this can you have before you're gonna drink? Some people will drink when it's at 10 degrees, some will drink at 20, some will drink at 30. But there'll be a point when your willpower won't be able to overcome the emotions. And I really like that. I'll have to find it and uh, bring it in and hand it out. And so, and it says, rather than elimination of drinking, here's what we need to do. Uh, a much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. So in other words, elimination of drinking is good, but we really want to demonstrate the spiritual principles in our homes, occupations, and affairs. Remember, it says in step 12, practice the principles in all our affairs. Have you ever heard that? And, and, but we don't talk about that a lot. We think of step 12 as like taking people to meetings or treatment or something. Step 12 is, is as a result of the spiritual awakening, we then practice the principles in all our affairs and we can carry the message to others. And it, in the beginning, it didn't say alcoholics in the first draft. It says to others, especially alcoholics. This message needs to be carried to everyone because there are people who are self-centered whose lives are miserable. Now, they don't drink over it. They're just disturbed by it. And if they had these principles, they could get undisturbed and have a life of peace. It says, uh, if we keep on the way we are going, there's little doubt that much good will result. They had no idea in 1939 what would be happening to me. Uh, their meetings today were there more people th at the meeting than there were who were sober when they wrote the book. But the surface of the problem has hardly been scratched. I think that's true today, especially now that we have uh, other means to uh, treat the spiritual illness that are more dangerous, all the drugs. Um, there are very few pure alcoholics anymore. Uh, most people have... Uh, of cross uh, addictions. But, but those, of, especially you know, with the younger people, those of us who live in large cities are overcome by the reflection that close by hundreds are dropping into oblivion every day. I guess I don't pay attention to the news, but now you can, you can be, have weed and not go to jail. Yeah. So that's good. You can buy it in the store. But we know that if you have the spiritual illness, that will lead to other things. That will, right, Mark? Mark says no. no? I think we need to skip about the whole month. All right, all right. Mark, Mark doesn't want me to talk anymore. All right. Uh, as much as you want, but just don't misinform people. All right. 
I won't misinform people. I, I don't know anything about it, uh, but I, 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 I thank you, Mark. We're being recorded. Um, Good. The uh, I just said the four prayers. Um, the uh, uh, but uh, I, I think it's it would be dangerous for me. How's that? And I think that uh, uh, it's something that's risky, but. I, I'm not an expert on that. That wasn't my field of practice. Uh, it says, uh, in large cities, they're overcome by the reflection of the coast by hundreds are dropping in the oblivion of every day. Many could not would recover if they had the opportunity we have enjoyed. Many could recover if they had the opportunity we have enjoyed, not would. How then shall we present that which has been so freely given us? Actually, Mark helped me a lot because I could see the truth that um, there are people who can use all substances and not uh, um, become addicted to them. And there are people who can drink alcohol. But if you have the spiritual illness, it might be dangerous to try something that would relieve that because you might abuse it. And, and so that, that makes sense to me. So they're going to if they have the opportunity, many could recover. And they didn't put would, and I wonder why. Um, how then should we present that which has been so freely given us? Well, that's what they're going to do. It says, and that, so it's a testimony. You have the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? And then this is the alcoholic testament, really on a, on a path to God. This, this is a treasure map, I believe, to the treasure, which is a relationship with God, your creator. We have concluded to publish an anonymous volume setting forth the problem as we see it. And so that's what they've done. They've, they're setting forth the problem as they see it. So you have to say, is this your problem? And then they're gonna, and then we shall bring to the task our combined experience and knowledge they're sharing their, the problem as they see it, their experience and knowledge, and then this should suggest a useful program for anyone concerned with the drinking problem. Not they're suggesting um, that you might want to do the program, they're suggesting a useful program. Now AA only has one program that they suggest, and that's the 12 steps. If you have a program that works that's not the 12 steps, then that's uh, fine. But if you don't, they have a useful program that they suggest you do. And then um, I think I'll uh, stop it there. On, uh, and we'll open it up so we'll have time for discussion. So thank you.